Welcome to Unplugged, talking all things red, white and black. Yes, welcome to Unplug It, our second edition for 2019, back after the success of last week, over 500 downloads that went well beyond our expectations, and we've been good luck charms. The Saints are two from two as they doubled up that Bulldogs win with a nice, hard-fought 19-point win over a spirited Melbourne, 15-14, 104 to 13-785, so over 100 points for the second consecutive week. So 8-10, and 10, the win-loss record now, and a road trip to Adelaide, to face a vulnerable Crows, an Adelaide side we haven't beaten since uh, 2011 and haven't beaten in Adelaide since 2009. In fact, we've never won a game at the Adelaide Oval. Or we had Port Adelaide on toast back in 2017. But we'll sink our teeth into this Crows contest. We'll review the win over Melbourne. We'll talk about other things happening around the place off the field. Some better news on the injury front with some mixed frustration as well. But I do welcome our panel once again. Darren Parkin is my name. First of all, uh, Nick Splitter, nice to have you with us uh, in studio after uh, another fine week. Yeah, nice to not have to uh, worry about the, the dial-in this week, uh, it's it's uh, smiles on all our faces. It's beautiful. Did sound a little bit like 1998, but uh, Aaron McGrath also with us. And H, uh, another nice night at Marvel Stadium. Yeah, another good night there. Um, we sort of went in reasonably confident, and it early on looked pretty ugly, but. Yeah, pulled through nicely. It did indeed. Those first five minutes after that, it was pretty good. A big thank you also to uh, Lloyd Spiegel who's provided us with our intro music for this uh, podcast. And, of course, if you missed last week's episode, available uh, on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, all the like, you can head to our uh, podcast channel at Wooshka as well if you want to check all of that out. And, of course, our socials to facebook.com forward slash unplugged at Unplugged on Twitter, and of course, Unplugged Podcast on Instagram, if you want to check all of that out as well, with some uh, some nice action going on there. Uh, as we said, we're all lifelong supporters. Before we get into reviewing it, to, to give an indication as to how long we've been supporting the club, what's your earliest memory of barracking for the Saints? First thing you can remember. Start with me? You can oh, go first. Start. Um, yeah, I, the same before, I, I can't remember exactly what game it was, but it would have been... Probably late 80s, early 90s at Moorabbin, um, quarter time, half time, running up the aisle at, at Moorabbin and banging on the tin shed, the, the side of the stadium, trying to make some noise and, and annoy the uh, the adults there. But um, yeah, I couldn't tell you what game it was, but uh, strong memories of, of Moorabbin rather than the actual footy played there. <laughs> Eight yours? Uh, well, growing up in a split St Kilda Collingwood house um, and living out in Gippsland, we travelled on to Waverley to watch St Kilda Collingwood in 92. Uh, 91, sorry. Um, first game that I went to and uh, basically the, all the other odd little Vic kick days and that sort of thing and the other memories you have, being the only St Kilda kid, that sort of thing. So <laughs> Peter Dacos kicked eight that day and that was one of the only days that Plugger didn't kick 10 in 91. He had a, a stinker that day, but um, yeah, the, the Saints were able to get back on track and I think the next time they played at Waverley, Plugger kicked 13 against Carlton in that same season. But your mind would be have vague memories of a game at Waverley in, in 1990 where all of the uh, the air was let out of our tyres and we were stranded in the, the dungeon that is the Waverley car park. But probably Moorabbin early 90s, uh, there was a game against the Kangaroos where Plugger kicked nine. And I remember the last game ever played 
at Moorabbin, but I'm a bit like H, a lot of the early memories of Waverley Park, where you could, as a young kid, sit on top of the interchange bench on the concrete there and every week yeah. high-five <laughs> players as they were coming on and off the ground. I was in that position when the lights went out in, uh, in 1996. But um, over the course of the journey, as we said, we'll be getting some insights uh, after we've found our feet from a few former Saints who have been keen to jump on. We've had a chat to the likes of Nick Dalsano and Justin Kaczynski and Ozzy Jones and those guys, and they'll be joining us over the next few weeks before the season is done. So to keen to get their thoughts on the, the coaching merry-go-round as well. But it was another good week for the Saints, so we'll get into our match review. Through the hands of Neil Bull and Hunter Clark, superb. Just burst away from half-back, Seb Ross, time and space, and that is beautiful. Superb kick to Bruce. Yeah, great stuff by Hunter Clark. Good strength in his body. Well, tonight, I suppose, was more we denied the opposition inside 50. So Melbourne sort of averaged that sort of high end, you know, high 50s and even 60 to get the ball inside 50 and keep it there for long periods. And outside of the first quarter, I think, you know, we dominated that part of the game, which they've ended up with 39 and we've had 60. So just because of our quantity, we've allowed ourselves to hit the scoreboard. It's a bit of a different game from last week. A um, lot more errors in the game and um, yeah, we made some mistakes, but you know, we're young. But And if you make mistakes, the opposition don't have to score. You make mistakes and still defend really well, and I thought we did that tonight. That was the moment, as pinpointed by Seb Ross, that turned the game in the last quarter. Hunter Clark's brilliance through the middle of the ground, across half-back and through the middle. And uh, Brett Ratton also speaking after the game, making some really good points about uh, how St Kilda controlled territory. Melbourne's main strength has been gathering a lot of inside 50s, not normally turning that into scores. And the other good observation he made is that just because you've made a mistake and taken a risk doesn't mean you have to concede a score. You get back on the bike quickly, uh, push back into defence and, and obviously cover off. And they were very, very good in doing that the Saints 15 14 104 to 13 at 785 five of the last six goals as the Saints came over the top seven goals between Josh Bruce and Tim Membry 31 possessions and two goals to Seb Ross a career high 31 disposals to Jade Gresham and plenty of good performances uh, this was a, a nice win but a frustrating game I thought in that the whole way through the game from from where I was watching it it felt like we should be winning this game we, we look like we're going to win this game but we might not because uh, either there'd be the double goal from the Jake Carlisle free kick or there'd be a poor turnover at a bad stage or they'd miss a couple of shots. But in the end, I think it was the right result, 60 inside 50s to 39, and, and Melbourne only had 21 inside 50s after quarter time. Yeah, it was def- definitely the right result. I think it was it was one of those games It was probably not pretty to watch from a, a neutral standpoint. Um, until really, late, yeah. Un- until late. I think the, the it opened up a bit in the last quarter, but... Um, very much a game of turnovers, skill errors, um, and really the team that kind of held the nerve for the longest was, was always going to win. And um, I think we were the stronger team for, for majority of the game, um, but it really, you know, we made it count when they turned the ball over and they couldn't quite do it when we turned the ball over. Um, and uh, that, that's kind of how it played out. Yeah. Negating their midfielders a lot of the time and basically uh, tackle pressure, um, being the team that actually took the least or gave the least turnovers. That was the main point. We give it to them, they give it back to us, and then we'd finally be able to get away with the goal. Because I think I saw at one point it was about 84 to 16 points or something. Extraordinary. Turnovers. Yeah, extraordinary. 13 goals, six from turnovers. So uh, that was baffling. Uh, Rowan Marshall, we, we spoke last week about how as much as St Kilda belted Melbourne earlier in the year, Marshall lowered his colours to, to Max. 
This time he certainly evened the contest. The, the, the hitouts to advantage were level, so that the prospect, as he's known, uh, didn't claim a scalp, but that was a, a real sign of how far he's come in about 18 games in the ruck. Yeah, he. that's all he had to do. He had to break even. We know how good Gorn is. If he manages to just, just break even with him, give us some of the ball, and the first game we got nothing, basically. Everything went to them. Or Gorn was able to control the way we had to read off him. But he held his own. He's liking the rule change too because he's number one at the club for clearances. And the amount of times he takes it out of the ruck and just bombs it 50 metres mm. forward now that you're allowed to. And I think if St Kilda wins a centre clearance, it's either Marshall or Gresham that are ripping it out of the middle or Luke Dunstan. Yeah, and I think I think what he's also shown is his work ethic to run other ruckmen in the ground. And, and for the last couple of years, it's been Gorn and Grundy and, and those guys who have kind of epitomised that new modern ruckman um, you know, following on from, from Cox and, and those guys a bit earlier. But um, there was a moment, I think it was late in the third quarter, maybe early in the, in the last, um, where he, he ran straight from a, a contest in the centre of the ground, ran 60, 70 metres forward and, and contested a, a spillage or a stoppage in, in the goal square and ended up on his knee slapping the ball out um, so it wouldn't go through for a behind or, or out of bounds, slapping it back into uh, into our advantage. And, and I can't remember who it was, but we ended up with a shot on goal and really showed his work rate and, and work ethic around the ground, follow the ball, get to where he needs to be and, and really impact the game. Um, unlike a lot of other ruckmen at the moment who, who really impact the game at a stoppage and that's about it. Um, he, he really does it all and it's, it's come out of nowhere, as I said last week. It's come out of nowhere and, and he's really impacting and, and having an influence on our game. Yeah. I was going to say, he's probably going to come up against uh, one of those sort of hit-out Ruckmans this week with O'Brien. Um, he's probably a bit slower around the ground, so that's where he's got to really take the advantage on him. Yeah, and um, a couple of the other ones as well. I mean, Hunter Clark, we spoke last week about his excitement almost matching Rowan Marshall's and another 23-possession game. So he's passed 20 possessions, I think, four or five weeks in a row. But that uh, the bit of play in the middle of the ground where we're two points down in the last quarter and he, he rips it away from two opposition players, breaks a tackle, finds Seb Ross who sets up the goal to, to Josh Bruce, which put us in front. Seb Ross identified it after the game as what he thought the turning point of the match was and that's an, that's an awesome moment. And I think a few people pointed out that ever since he got flattened by Zeebel, it is almost more and more the Lenny Hayes, Glen Archer moment, moment where it it away tough. he goes. It was almost reminiscent of that. It was Yeah. It, it really was. And I think he... Um, you know, you could really see following that, that moment um, on Saturday night that, that his chin, you know, lifted, his head lifted, the rest of the boys lifted, and you could kind of see the wind come out of the demon sails. Um, you know, for a kid like that at 20 years old um, to, to have that impact on a contest um, and, and a really important moment and, and end up kicking a goal from that that contest um, was really important, not, not only for us as a club and, and for that game, but I think for him, um, and the knowledge that he can compete physically, because I think previously he might have been bullied around the ball a bit. Um, he could get pushed off off the ball, pushed out of contests, but really showed that he, he can contest in those those strong moments and, and was really fierce at the ball, which I think is something that he hasn't been known for previously. Yeah, it's probably a bit of confidence in himself as well. Um, I think that's shown in his disposal too, really. Um, he's He knows he can do it. Yeah, and, and hopefully that happens to Seb Ross too because his disposal have been ordinary. But two great goals, one from the boundary and, and one long run as well. Like we did last week, I want to ask you if there's a player you want to give a special mention to that we haven't mentioned yet out of the performance. Um, yeah, very similar to last week. I'm actually going to say the same player, and it's Jake Carlisle. And, and again, he's, he's copped a bit of flack um, on the weekend and, and over the last few days. 
um, for that one moment that we've all seen, and there was a bit of mayo on that. Which that, is not a free kick. That performance. Yeah. Well, no, it wasn't, yeah. but, but you know, it happened. He got sucked in, and, and I think, you know, Rat said it. Um, Jake himself has said it. He owned it, and he, and he kind of came back. But he was, he was just a rock in defense for us. He was either at centre-half back, at full-back, even out in the wing, um, running a contest, um, contested ball at marks or, or stoppages um, and was always in the right place. Had a really good game except for that little brain fade and, um, you know, it's very hard to get past. He reads the ball so well. And yeah, I was probably going to say Dunstan, his clearance work, his tackles, um, what is it, 18 disposals, eight tackles. He got in there and got the ball for us, kicked, kicked it out and quite often was a either a pass out to, say, aggression at the back or clearing it out himself into the 50. Um, he got in and got at everything, really. I'm going to give one with an honourable mention. Jack Billings um, getting the, the nomination. I know he's had a, a great year. I've been keeping votes. I think he's leading the best and fairest. Like Marshall is closing in, but, he, but he's leading the, the BNF. But he wasn't outstanding on the weekend, but 21 possessions and a goal. He iced the game after taking a pretty courageous mark, sort of backing back with a flight and then drilled the goal from the pocket, which ended Beautiful. the contest. Yeah, and we now for, there was a period there that we didn't have a lot of confidence in him in front of goal, but that's confidence is back, I think, now. And I want to give a mention to, to Blake Akers because he's a player I've been critical of. Uh, I don't think he played a great game, but he was okay. He certainly played his role. But there was one moment where he went off halfway through the last quarter with a, a shoulder issue and then came back on five minutes later, and the first thing he did was laid a big tackle on Angus Brayshaw uh, with that sore shoulder. So special mention to him for that, and that, I think, epitomised their effort throughout the course of the game. And whilst we're wrapping up that game over the Ds, a 19-point victory, we're going to introduce our little 3-2-1 for the unplugged MVP. So each of us will give our 3-2-1. Uh, Nick, who do you uh, want to give the honours to? I imagine it's going to be pretty close across the board. Yeah, I think most people probably agree with, with the top three or four players. Um, I'm not going to be controversial at all with, with my three. I'm going to give three votes to Sebros, uh, two votes to Jade Gresham, and one to Josh Bruce. Yep. And I'm pretty much looking at exactly the same. There's probably five or six players that will be unlucky to not get a vote there. Um, and you've got uh, Sinclair and Billings and Dunstan and... Yeah, they're all even Marshall. All, yeah, yeah, Marshall. All all unlucky to miss out, but those three, I think, were the key on the night. I've got a slight change. Bruce was very close to getting a vote for his four goals. Three votes, Seb Ross. Two votes, Jay Gresham. And Hunter Clark, I thought, consistently over four quarters and some of his impact, squeezing him in for the one. So three Ross, two Gresham, and one Clark. The big issues. It's not as many as, as last week in the picture might be a little bit clearer in that um, I heard Caroline Wilson during the week say that Brett Ratton is virtually a certainty and that the, the total buy-in from the club, and I would agree with that. I would think we would have to have our arse fall out in the last four weeks. We'd have to get beaten by 10 goals a couple of times for that to go any other way than that because I think it, it automatically eliminates any other assistant coach. No assistant's going to come over the top because they're not going to be better credentialed. It would really be him or, or probably Brad Scott, unless they were tempted by a, a possibly sacked Ken Hinckley. But I, I doubt it. I would say that it's probably Brett Ratton, eighty to ninety percent of the way. It, it seems that way. It, it would be, it, it would be very strange for for someone else to come in after these last few weeks. Um, at the end of the year, regardless of what happens um, for for the next few weeks, um, I think it, you can really see. Um, on the track, in the rooms, the, the way that the, the boys respond to him. Um, he gets around them, they get around him. They, it seems like they love playing for him um, and, and they really understand the way that he communicates. 
Um, it, it would be very odd, I think, for, for us to see anyone else in, in the, the, the hot seat next season. Yeah, I think we're all in the same boat here. Um, basically, yeah, I think he's given him the, the instructions that he wants the way he wants them to play, looking to set up for next year, I'd suggest. Um, putting a few things in place. And the club should probably look at this and go, yeah, well, if we go in the right way with just these few games of data, then that's where we've got to go. If it works, that's it. And it's probably been obvious all along because we called it seven months ago when he came to the club that we thought this might happen. And sure enough, it... It has. Um, one of the other things as well is that Saturday of the final round, so Saturday at one forty-five in round 23, is the, the confirmed time for St Kilda's game with Sydney. So when we're playing for a spot in the eight in the last round, it'll be at one forty-five on Saturday afternoon. So, um, yeah, hopefully when we're gunning for a sixth consecutive victory in our 12th win of the season. And if we do get up, it's a nervous wait until Sunday afternoon, probably. That's, that's, that's right. We're not looking sure which game's on Sunday So afternoon, Sunday's but... Bulldogs-Adelaide, which is the nerve-wracking yeah, game. Yep. Uh, Richmond-Brisbane is the other one. And then Port Adelaide-Frio, which may or may not have consequences. Bulldogs-Adelaide would be the only one. Potentially. Um, but yeah, Bulldogs-Adelaide's the one of, of probably most relevance, but hopefully it gets that far, of course. Um, uh, the other one, which we'll discuss a little bit more in the uh, in the match committee, Dan Hanabry gastro announcement on a Tuesday ruling him out. Do we take that for what it is, or does the sceptical St Kilda supporter in a smell are in that at all? Not really, no. I think as we're, as we're discussing, I think basically the club have probably said, well, if you've got gastro, stay away, really. Yeah. Um, and if he's not 100%, don't make him travel. That, that's as simple as it is, I think. Yeah, I think yeah, we probably would have learned a little bit from the, the China trip um, yeah. that you don't want people with, with gastro on the, the eve of a game. It is very early in the week as we record this, but, um, yeah, if, I guess with him, you probably just don't take the risk. He's missing um, training. Hmm. So. I think so. He probably needs the minutes in the, in the legs. And um, I think the club's actually been, been pretty clear with on Dan, and it's probably just a, another bit of bad luck uh, in, in terms of where it all sits. But, again, they reiterate Fremantle next week that they're, they're confident he'll get there and, Hopefully that's the case, but yeah, it I looks like if, he's... I wonder if he turns around quickly if they suit him up at Sandy. Possibly, yeah. if it's because it's a local game. Possibly. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It, that might be the case if he, if he sort of comes through, and, and I guess you without training, that, that wouldn't be too bad. It might be a way of getting that extra session in the legs, even if you play half a game. Because we'll, over a player, his calibre at VFL is almost a training session anyway. Possibly. It would have been, <laughs> that's right. would have been handy in Adelaide, perhaps, in the, the cauldron-like atmosphere over there. But we'll chat about that shortly. You've got mail. And, of course, we did plug our socials uh, earlier on in the program. And, once again, facebook.com forward slash unplugged, at unplugged on Twitter, or unplugged podcast via Instagram. And uh, and also you can email us, unplugged at gmail.com. We've got a little bit of correspondence coming through from the week that was. We asked you for your, your feedback and your questions on the week. So we'll uh, fire through a few of those. I'll throw one at you, H, from uh, Nikki Lasky via Twitter. We're all on a high from last week's emotional win. If, and just playing devil's advocate here, we do not win another game this year, is Rat still going to get the thumbs up from fans or would we be endorsing him on just one win or now two? Well, as you, as you say, unless we get beaten by 10 goals every week, I think it's what we've seen so far, it's enough, really. Yeah, um, yeah he's he, he's shown in the two weeks that the players know what he's talking about. They're able to put it out on the field. And if it... Like we turn around the other way and say we get two more wins at least. That he writes he writes his own ticket. I think also that 
you know, sometimes we forget that he's not just an assistant coach. He, he's done this over a period of six or seven years. Um, already he's been a senior coach. He, he knows what the gig's all about. Um, it, it's, it's more of a trial run than a, an interview period mm. for him as, as opposed to, you know, if it was someone like a Sam Mitchell or um, you know, Blake Carousella or one of the other, you know, big named assistant coaches, Robert Harvey. Um, because he's been there before, he's done it. He's taken teams to finals. Um, you know, it, it's, I think, I think the club knows what they're going to get from him. Yeah. Uh, the next question we got from Jan Casey on, from Facebook. Um, we've got Nick, uh, who do you think the Saints should target this year? Uh, they say, Jan says, she knows Tomlinson from GBOS has been on their radar. Um, and if he's worth chasing, he's got the big body and perhaps the backups we need for Marshall. Um, and... Also, who do you think is in danger apart from Armo? Well, I mean, Tomlinson has been on the radar, as, as, as Jan said. Um, I think we've been pretty keen on him for a number of years. I'm pretty sure we were keen on him mm-hmm. in his draft year as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure at one point he was fairly keen to, to get down to us. Um, interesting to see if that's still the case. Um, he'd be asking pretty decent money, I would have thought. Um, but I think we'll, we'll have some money to spend as well. Um, would be nice to finally get him after all the effort and, and, and kind of chasing him over the last two to three years. Uh, he's finally a free agent, um, and I think he'd be a good addition. I mean, any any good player is a good addition to our list at this stage. Um, Brad Hill, I think, is, is one guy that's been spoken about uh, a lot in the last the last week or two, would be a perfect addition to, to our list. I think if we're, we're missing something, it, it's that skill and pace um, off half back down the wing, um, a guy that can can run and carry and really break lines. Um, we're, we're trying to to build that up a bit with with our list, but we haven't got that elite A grade runner um, th- that we need. I think so. Probably someone that that we will target. Um, in terms of players who are in danger, look, there's probably there's probably a number of guys who have who have been on the cusp of of the best 22 for a number of years um, and either never quite made it um, and been in and out or who have been in the team for a while and kind of never taken that step up from from being a good player to a great player. Um, and there's a few in that list. I think we can talk about um, Dan McKenzie, Bailey Rice as part of the first group, but when you look at Jack Noons, Luke Dunstan, Blake Akers, as we mentioned before, um, guys that they're really kind of highly touted recruits when they came to the club. Um, but have never really taken that next step, that next step to, to become the elite player that, that we thought they might be. Um, so it's going to be a really interesting off season. It'll be a really interesting off season. Certainly will. Just a, a few more here uh, via Twitter. So thoughts on Sam Mitchell as a potential coach from Rob Shearer. I think as we were saying earlier, in my mind anyway, the, the assistant coaches I don't think are going to trump Ratton. Mitchell's pedigree is effectively the same as, as Brett Ratton's. I know he went to West Coast for, for a period. And also Rob asking if we would need to trade for another Ruckman. I think that's very much on the, the proposal. They want Marshall to play forward Ruck. Uh, it doesn't look like we'll get Goldstein. It looks like he'll probably recommit to the Kangaroos. So... Uh, then you look at um, obviously the young boy from from Essendon that we've been uh, we've been linked to uh, quite a bit over the journey. Um, and further to the Sam Mitchell one, would it work if Malthouse was appointed in a mentor capacity, or is that a clash of personalities? He has connection to the Saints historically, but is there anyone that would be in in favour of that? Not as a clearly not as a coach, but in some involvement. Well, he's got a lot of knowledge. Um, mm. Anything he could bring to the club would be helpful, but. It's, it's just a matter of whether he can work with who the coach is at that time, whether, 
as you say, personalities clash. Um, I don't know what the Ratton Multihouse um, relationship's like. Um, I haven't heard anything bad about him, but yeah, if I he think can, anything right. he yeah. can add, add is apart from Multihouse taking his job, but oh. it wasn't his fault <laughs> no, necessarily. No. They, they never crossed over, and it wasn't. I don't think Brett Ratton would hold any grudge over that, and certainly Mick shouldn't. So. No, yeah. uh, that's the only the only link. Um, any of those other standout? Boys, that you uh, you most want to address? Yeah, I've got a, a question here from Tim Rosen on Twitter, um, who said he's curious about thoughts on a few players that fans jump on, who I think can be misunderstood, um, specifically Jack Sinclair, Ben Long, and Luke Dunstan. What do you guys reckon? Dunstan mainly, I think. I think his value has been underrated for for a long, long time. So I'm, I'm one who probably can't answer the Sinclair one because he's frustrated me a little bit. I just don't think he gets enough of the footy. He did on the weekend. But that's the type of game I want him to play. I mean, he's a very good user, so you want him getting it 20 times, not 13 or 14 times a game. So so that's more like it. Um, Seb Ross, I think, is a little bit misunderstood sometimes. I think he's been a, a very solid player for us for a long time. I think, it, I think it all comes down to that we know what these players can do, and mm. there's weeks where they don't show what they can do. And that's when you get the people to jump onto them and have a go at them and that sort of thing. And it's like, well, not even the best players have bad days. Yeah. So... The more they can jump on them, the more they get um, it gets known that they're a whipping boy. Um, but it's great to see them turn around week to week and actually play a really good game sometimes, like Loney two weeks ago, that sort of thing. And, yeah, you, then you don't hear from him. That's right. Loney's probably a classic example. But Mike Lee, Leslie Kevin also before – Michael Leslie Kevin via the email, who's a lifelong Saints fan but does not live in Melbourne, wants to know – What's happened to the Saints training facility at Seaford and whether the quick turnaround back to Moorabbin has sort of led to our debt, probably. Um, but it was necessary. I'm pretty sure Seaford, the base now, is now the hub for women's football in the southeast. I think the AFL base for women's football development, I think, is based out of Seaford. I'm pretty sure that's right. Yeah, that was, I'm not sure. I think something about the, the yeah. Mornings of Peninsula Football League or something was going to have something yeah. to do with it I as think well. So. And the Cricket Association and that sort of thing. It was going to be used for the local community and stuff. And But the club still owns it, I believe. Yeah, yep. I, I go parks quite often and there's yeah. always lights on there. So there's something happening in the precinct. Yeah, I'm, I'm so. pretty sure it's got a heavy involvement in women's footy and, and now obviously the development through that area, which will feed the St Kilda AFLW side. So thank you to uh, all of those. And um, uh, we encourage you via Twitter and Facebook and, and email to jump on board those. It's time now for the match committee. Yeah, it's, um, it's obviously exciting. I think um, I was actually thanking Lady, the mids coach, um, after the game on the weekend for dropping me the start of the year so that I could go back home and play my 100. So it's um, yeah, it's funny how it's worked out, but yeah, hopefully I get through the week and it's uh, yeah, good to go. You'll have a lot of friends and family out there? Yeah, hopefully. I mean, the club's only offered me 10 tickets at the moment, but we'll, <laughs> we'll work through that. So no, it'll be good to have all my mates and uh, my family get there on the weekend to support. And that was Luke Dunstan speaking ahead of his 100th game back in his home state of South Australia this week. Before we get into it, we'll also get the latest on the injury front. Hi Saints fans, welcome to the Round 20 injury report ahead of our game against the Crows at Adelaide Oval on Saturday night. We'll start with some great news. Josh Battle and Jimmy Webster both got through their first VFL game really well. Uh, So they have to train on Thursday, but obviously in line for selection. 
Billy Longer, unfortunately, will remain on the sidelines for the rest of the season as he continues to deal with his concussive symptoms, which includes sinus issues. Our docs are working really closely with Billy and his specialists while he takes some time away from the club. We decided not to play Dan Hanabry last week and those of you who were here on Saturday would have seen that he got through a, a really big running session and training session. Unfortunately, he's actually got gastro, so he will be unavailable for selection this week. And as we've been doing the last couple of weeks, we try and keep you updated on some of the rehab boys. So in some really good news, Dean Kent is progressing exceptionally with his rehab. Um, he's been running and getting a lot of volume into him and he's really doing full work in the gym as well. Saints physio Andrew Wallace giving a wrap of the injuries there as well and some pleasing news on that front for the Saints. Uh, for once, although the other Dan Hanabry gastro, as we touched on earlier, a definite source of frustration after everything else. Well, round 20, Adelaide, winnable game. As I said, we haven't beaten them since, I think it was round 17 or 18 of 2011. Uh, Don Pike feeling the, the pinch, certainly. They had a you know a barbecue and some pizza and beers, the Adelaide Crows, uh, on Sunday, I think, to try to chew the fat. The, the way I sort it's of... It's the old Grant Thomas trick, isn't it? It is no, the old... Mo- those movies. Although bad, Grant bad Thomas's was more... That's, that's right, just sort of chill. But yeah. um, we'll discuss selection in a minute, but I sort of see this game as we start well, we'll kill this mob because I think they're on the verge of basically collapse in the sense that if they get a bit of a sniff and their confidence doesn't get dented too much, they could hurt us pretty badly because they've, they've got they've got a lot of confidence when they play against us. They could run on top of the ground and bury us like they bury teams like the Gold Coast. But they're really, really, really wobbly. There's a lot of internal rumblings and spot fires around the club. So if we could just hit them on the nose in the first 20 minutes, I reckon they'd fall in a heap. I think that's exactly what we need to do because... If they get a bit of a run on, if they, they have a lot to play for. Oh, yeah. They have a lot to play for. Um, and, and they're feeling the pinch. I think, like, like you said, Don Pike's under pressure. Um, Tex Walker's under pressure. Their, their whole list is under pressure. And you know, rumblings that players want out. And you, you never really know what's what's going on in the locker room at, at clubs like that. But, um, you know, if, if we can get a few on them early, then this could be a really good win for us. Not going to um, handle being uncomfortable. No, no, not going to handle being uncomfortable because they're already uncomfortable mm-hmm. and they're in they're in absolute disarray at the moment. Yeah, um, but it, it could be that thing that turns it around for them if right. they get a good win on the board. And as you said, historically they've been they've been good against us, um, both home and away. They've kind of had the wood on us for a while. Um, it'd be really good for the boys to get a win over there. Yeah, um, they're very much a momentum team. It seems if. They get a run on, they get a couple of goals, two, three, four, it turns into almost five, six sometimes. Um, if you can, if they get two in a row, we, you shut them down. We need we, to be able we, to shut them down at that point. It's, it's a good point. I think we've shown over the last couple of weeks that, that we can kill that momentum. We did it exactly. a few times against the Bulldogs. We did it early against the Demons. They kicked the first three and, and they really looked to, to, to have all the momentum. They had all the running and, and they were hitting targets when we weren't. But um, we were able to reel them in and, and pull it back pretty quickly. Um, so... Even if they kick a few early ones, I think we can we can match that, um, and we've we've just got to stay with them. But if we get a few on them early, I'm not sure they can handle it. No, I agree. I, I think that's the the issue. And and I sort of I'm looking forward to this one because I think the game against Adelaide in round six derailed us a, a little bit. So we were four and one. We lost Geary in the week leading up to the game. We lost Rowan Marshall before the first bounce with gastro. So Billy Longer played that game. Uh, Josh Bruce shouldn't have played. He was carrying a massive corky. Jack Loney did his knee in the first 15 minutes and we're 17 or 18 points up at the time and it all just fell away. Really so game. that was a game that it was right there for the taking. And if, if all of those things hadn't have gone wrong, then I think we would have nailed that and gone five and one. So 
it's a chance to, to get that one back and, and, as you say, sort of break that. Uh, Sandy, they were on TV last week. Did anyone, I guess, get a chance to, to watch that? Jack Stephen was tagged after quarter time. Very good start. Kicked a couple. Um, any other sort of standouts that you think are, are likely to come in? It's the, clearly Stephen Battle and Webster that we're thinking most about. Yeah, I caught a bit of it. Unfortunately, I turned it on at the start of the second quarter, so I missed <laughs> most of most of Jack's uh, best effort. Um, also tended to turn it on as soon as Josh Battle came off the ground. Um, but it sounded like sounded like he played pretty well. Um, Jack Stephen, I think, comes in. I think he's yep. too good to play a third game in the twos. Um, and regardless of, of what anyone thinks is going to happen at the end of the season, there's a lot of rumours about him going to Geelong and, and whatnot. But when it comes to this stage of the year and, and there's so much on the line, you get your good players in and, and you play them. Um, whether he goes to Geelong or not, you know, it could be could be four weeks of you know, bringing up his trade value again. Yeah. Um, I didn't see much of the game. I was in and out of the room while it was on. Um, I did see Jack at one point, though, coming off the ground looking very frustrated. I think I think it was a pretty close tag by the sounds of it. Um, he didn't look too happy with what he was doing at that moment. But yeah. yeah. James Magna, the yeah. other former demon, might, might have played for GWS, I think, perhaps along the way. So One of the things I think about, about Jack Stephen as well is that when you put him in our midfield, you almost have to tag him. You can't let him off the leash, um, as opposed to you know what what teams have been doing with guys like Ross and and Dunstan over the last few weeks and and whatnot. But you kind of have to tag him, and, and that releases those other guys. And to Billings have an too. And yep. Billings, Gresham, um, even Ben Long. You know, saw saw the impact Ben Long could have with with mm. the footy in hand and and with some space to move. Um, you know, it, it just it it opens the space up for those other guys to, to get the ball and, and be able to move um, the way that they want to uh, and get around the ground the way that they want to and, and be able to have an impact. And, um, you know, I, I, think, I think those guys, Ross, Dunstan, Akers, if he's, if he's fit, um, Clark and Caulfield, I think those guys would love to see Jack Stephen back in the, in, the, in the line. And if you play all three of Webster, well, do you play all three of Webster, Battle and Stephen, and who are the vulnerable ones? Because you probably look at, and I sincerely hope they pick Nathan Brown. I read a stat on Twitter that we're seven and five with him this year and one and five without. When we voluntarily left him out of the side, the only team we beat was the Gold Coast in round one by a point. Uh, so I still think he's important, particularly against the Crows. But you'd be looking at an unlucky Ben Patton, an unlucky Dalton Langlands. Depends how Acres' shoulder is. Those sorts of people. Yeah, I would. I wouldn't want to be changing too much. No, to be honest. no. Um, it's it has worked what we're doing at the moment with who we have out there. Mm. Um, and as you say, anyone who gets dropped is unlucky, really. We, we have uh, looked good with, with Nathan Brown back. Yeah, he's, he's, got, he's got to stay in with the size of Adelaide's forward line this he week. He does, yep. Even though Tex played his only good game in the last four years on Against him <laughs> uh, earlier on in the season, but hopefully he gets a bit of retribution on that as well. Um, yeah, I think Nunes has been tagging. He's safe, been doing well. Hind is, is safe, uh, was harassing the, the hell out of Melbourne last week in the front half and sledging everyone, which was and, good and to break, see. Breaking free and get a bit of running from him as yeah. well. He, he broke, breaking away to get that goal from, I think it was in front of Jetta. Yeah, in front yeah, of Jetta was chasing Pulled him. away from him. Yeah, Lever could have killed him too. and. Mm. I know Matthew Lloyd was critical that Lever didn't iron him out when he uh, when he could have, but he uh, he certainly got through. Um, also worth mentioning, uh, Billy Longer. We know St Kilda have had a tough year of concussions and various issues that the mental health issues for Jack Stephen. Uh, Billy Longer taking some time away from the club uh, to deal with uh, his own well-being. He hasn't played for about two months due to concussions, so that's another one. And it's been a, a tough year on that front for the Saints. So wishing Billy. 
uh, all the best, who's um, obviously found it tough along with Lewis Pierce and a few of the others this year from a Saints point of view. But um, I guess final thoughts on the game from, from both of you as to any key players to stop and whether we actually win it or not. Yeah, I'm not sure about the, the players to stop. I mean, obviously the, there's the, the usual suspects, Sloan and Laird and, and the Crouch boys. Yep. Um, and, and their forwards, you know, don't want to let them off the leash because once they get a sniff, they, they can be really dangerous. Um, but I think for us, one, one guy that I'm really interested to watch this week under pressure is Nick Caulfield. Um, I thought in the first half of Saturday night's game that he, he looked a bit vulnerable. He looked um, not slow, but he looked a bit um, cautious, I thought, at the contest and, and at the ball. Um once, once we got a bit of the run back, I thought he he looked very comfortable and and looked like he fit in a lot more. But but it seemed like in that first quarter, and even past the second quarter, when Melbourne were on top, he looked a bit vulnerable. He looked looked like he was bullied a little bit. The second half was completely different. He looked like a completely different player. Um, so I'm really interested to see what he's like. Um, you know, assuming he plays again, which which I think and hope that he will. Um, you know, in the cauldron of Adelaide Oval. Yeah, well, I think Adelaide's. Key strength is really their run out of defence. Um, they yeah run everything out. Got good disposal from the as you're saying from the Crouches and Laird and um, they bring it out and they kick it. Then they run down the centre. If we can lock them in, keep them, get the pressure on them, keep them in the our forward line. Try and just stop that run. Make them kick over us. Make them kick to a contest. That's that's one place where I can basically is the key to beat them at. Yep. Well, the, the difference between. This week and, and last time we played the Crows, as you said, Brown played and, and Tex had Tex had his, his best game for a while. Was that Jake Carlisle wasn't there, mm. um, and, and he takes a lot of that pressure off off Nathan Brown, off, off whoever the key is, uh, key back is, and, and Wilkie's now settled in that lineup, um, and without him having to be a, a key post, you know, he can be that third man up in the the, the early Sam Fisher mould, in the um, Dylan Robertson mould. Um, you know, that, that can be really valuable for us. And, and if we can keep that midfield pressure up, as you said, H, um, and force them to kick long, kick to contest, then I think Jake and, and Cal can really um, control that area in, in defensive 50 and then give us good run out of the back as well. Yep, this is there for the taking, I think. It's a, really a test of where their maturity is at. If we could just punch him in the mouth, in the not literally, but figuratively, punch no, him Jake. in the mouth early in the game, you can break their spirit because I don't think their spirit's that strong you at the moment. Jake. Don't want Jake. No, exactly. <laughs> he would literally, if you went out there and gave him that instruction, that's probably exactly what he would do. Um, good on him for listening, but uh, <laughs> not in that sense. But no, I think I think Adelaide feel that they have our measure, but if they if they feel very early that they don't... Uh, they're an extremely vulnerable club right as it stands at the moment. So we've got to be able to exploit that early on in the piece and be nice and ruthless that the tackle intensity just completely overwhelmed Melbourne late. If we can bring that early against Adelaide, you might not get too much resistance back the other way. So fingers crossed. Um, that's it for us for our second edition. As we said, we'll be catching up with uh, the likes of uh, Ozzy Jones and Nick Del Sano and Justin Kaczynski to get their thoughts on uh, upcoming games and, uh, also have a little bit of a chat about their career as well. So we've got those coming up uh, for you over coming weeks. Just a reminder, the Round 23 game against Sydney will be on the Saturday at 1.45pm. Uh, give us a follow, share, retweet, etc. Uh, via Facebook, which is at facebook.com forward slash Unplugged. On Twitter, at Unplugged. 
And on Instagram, you can check out what we're up to as well, Unplugged Podcast. There's links to our own social media accounts through that as well. And any feedback, welcome on all of those platforms, plus the email, uh, which is unplugged at gmail.com. And thanks to all of those that have contributed. If we didn't get to yours, we'll uh, endeavour to do so next week. But uh, thanks, boys. And worked last week. Let's get to 9 and 10 and keep perhaps that little F word simmering a little bit longer. Go Saints. Hopefully. This is Unplugged, talking all things red, white and black.